Welcome in to the Blanket Coverage Podcast. Today is our first uh, regular episode uh, since joining Going the Distance. We are super hyped about that. I'm joined as always by my co-host Jack Wallace. And today we are going to discuss everything about college football week one because in the future this is going to be recapping college football and the nfl we're not we're going to get a little more quick hitter action in, uh go on some deeper dives on a few things but now uh we today we get to do uh do the real thing but first i want to ask you we had a couple big rap albums drop over the past weekend. Um, I have opinions. Uh, you certainly have opinions as well. Um, without mentioning uh, either artist by name, uh, who do you think had the better album of the two? I think it depends a lot on what you consider the better project. Because for me... One of them was oh, yeah, the like, no, 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 I know, I know, but I meant, I meant, <laughs> I know, but, but hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. This is, what, this is what I'm trying to say. It's not about the better one versus like the more, I guess, influential one or the more quality one versus the one that may be more enjoyable. For example, right. like, I love a terrible movie, but it's still a terrible movie, if you get yeah. what I mean. So one of the albums was the same stuff that we've gotten for about the last six, seven years. And if you released the album six, seven years ago, a lot of the content on there you wouldn't have really realized was released then or now. There's that. Now, did I enjoy a good amount of it? Yeah. But was it the same stuff we've heard a million times? Yes. The other one was something that was, I think, more thoughtful, but it was also a little more strange, but one that I think may have been better. I think we kind of know which ones we're talking about here. but Yeah, and, and I think the first one you were talking about was Drake, and the second one was Kanye. If I had to guess. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> Kanye, Kanye was my favorite rapper growing up. Um, and and I love the production on Donda, but just not a huge um, fan of a lot of the bars, quite frankly. Uh, just lyrically, I thought it was very, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, tame, which I is kind of obvious because Kanye censored everybody, but I found it to be very tame. Uh, while Drake's album was the complete opposite, um, and honestly, I found Drake's album like funnier than it was good. If that makes I'm sense. tired of Gangster Drake. Why, like, why is I, he still trying to be Gangster Drake? I don't understand. Like, what what is he <laughs> what is he trying he to accomplish decide, here? He couldn't decide what he wanted it to be. Like, are you going to make, like, a really yeah. toxic male future album? Or are you going to do, like, your little croony pop single thing? And I... And there were some songs I liked on it. I think Fair Trade with Travis was really good. Yeah, I think, I think the, the Bar at the End is a good song. Ah, that song is so weird. It's, it's honestly what that song is. It's WAP for men. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Kawhi Leonard's music video. Just... <laughs> that was the best part, though. I'll give it that. That was really funny. That's, <laughs> he did that get, was definitely... He got Kawhi Leonard out of his house. That that music video that music video was pure self-aware, I'm a complete goofball Drake, which he's had before. And I think it's really funny, even though it's it's a, a, a slight amount cringe, but it's pretty funny. But, but then we'll get to the topic you wanted to ask before we move on with our um, cold open here. But yeah, top three rap albums. 
of the year so far as we venture into month number nine here, starting in the first week, September 8th, of course, today. So who do you have so far as we reach uh, nearing the three quarters way down of the year? All right. Number three, I, I had to do some, there was, there was a cutoff here for sure. Um, and, and, and it was a little hard to, uh, hard to find at some points, uh, you know, what, what I really wanted to be number three here. Uh, but I think J. Cole put out a fantastic album uh, that deserves recognition. Uh, it was just a classic J. Cole album, uh, My Life with 21 Savage uh, being the highlight of that album. That's uh, one of my least favorite songs on the album. I really enjoy I, I don't like 21 Savage. That's my thing. I don't, oh, okay. I don't like his stuff. Okay. That makes I don't sense. think it's very good. That's just... It's not it's not my thing. I understand what people like him, but I like and I gave him a shot. I listened to the whole um whatever the Savage Mode 3 was that was like I already forgot with Metro Boomin and I, I listened to the whole thing and I was like, ah, just Oh, I love not my taste. Mode too. It's not it's not my taste. It's not my taste. I love it. I I love that kind of intense like gangsta trap stuff. Um anyway, that was the whitest thing I said all day uh, and maybe <laughs> all week. Uh Anyway, I love that album, The Off Season. Uh, I think it's got some great punch in the clock, applying the pressure, both good yeah. deep cuts off of there. Um, my number two album of the year goes to Isaiah Rashad. The House is Burning, Fire Album, uh, HB2U, phenomenal song. Rip Young, probably the best song on the album. Chad with YG Tut uh, goes very, very hard as well. And my undisputed number one, I didn't even think about another number one, uh, was Tyler, the creator. Call me if you get lost. That I, album, I saw that coming. I know you will enough to see that coming. That <laughs> album did things for me. Um, that album was absolutely phenomenal. I listened to it for like a month straight on repeat when it came out. Uh, I think DJ Drama's production is perfect. I think the ideas are original. And I love Tyler getting back to rapping. Uh, after i mean flower boy was great uh i thought igor was also great yeah. in a different way but tyler the creator getting back to rapping uh is is what we needed in the year 2021 uh and and, and i respect that so that was my number one and what are your top three i'm curious so my top three actually aren't crazy different from a lot of what you had to be honest with you i kind of um i expected some of that but uh not exactly the same on it um and i'm looking through what music i even have added on here so i'm trying to see when i got it um but one of the ones i really enjoyed a lot looking into it um not exactly an album but more of a it's kind of hard i guess it was almost like a mix or capsule it was called but uh was uh tory lane's playboy and it was his R&B one that he dropped that not a lot of people went um, nuts over, at least at the time with Tori still trying to basically uncancel himself. But it's really good. And the first half stretch, that's those like six or seven songs in a row. I mean, I still, when I play them, will go those six and seven in a row. I mean, it's his best work, I think, is when he goes that R&B route. And I think that looked really, really good for him. And so that one's got to be that number three right there. If I had to go number two, that's the one thing we differ in. You like Tyler more than I do, but I still like it a lot. And I had Tyler's album at number two. And I absolutely, the, the reason why I'm putting this one at number one is because it totally changed my entire take on this artist. 
and it's J. Cole's The Offseason number one because I was not a J. Cole fan before this year. I wasn't. And that album 100% converted me. And I was like, wow, I was wrong. So that one I only give because I liked Tyler a lot before and I like him after and same with Tori. But wow, did J. Cole's album blow me away. So I was really, really happy with that. I have, I don't think I have a single skip on that whole song or on the whole album. Um, that was one of the most complete things I've seen in a while. But that's at least my takes there. It but, was, and it was slept on. It was overshadowed it was. It was. by. It's overshadowed by all the hype around Donda. It's overshadowed by the hype around Drake. And it's uh, better. Power of the Creators album got a ton of critical acclaim, and it was kind of overshadowed by that. Isaiah Rashad back for the first time in five years. I think it was overshadowed by that a little bit. J Cole just had the disadvantage of dropping way earlier than a lot of those artists and i mm -hmm. think as the year goes along we tend to forget about stuff that was uh released earlier in the year as so much new music comes out around the fall um but that was that was a big one i i do agree with that so let's go into some sports uh that was talking music i'm sure we're 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 gonna we're gonna come up with some more talking music because uh we're gonna have some time to kill at some point uh, what's, what's 10 minutes to talk about, uh, one of our favorite things other than sports, which is, That's very music, true. of course, exactly. Um, so let's talk about some other sports, Jack, take us through the playoff race in baseball. Um, a recurring segment on, uh, the TCU 360 version of our podcast was that I just love to piss people off by hating on baseball. Um, I've gotten more into baseball. A little bit. See, like I'm, see, I'm telling I'm you, a little bit more attention because I started winning money gambling on baseball. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the only reason. But when you have works, money on works. the game and when you have stakes on the game, I see how you know it's a lot. There's a lot more pressure in each pitch, each at bat, um, and, and I see the appeal of it. But that being said, I'm never probably still never going to watch a baseball game other than like the World Series, maybe the championship series, the league championship series, uh, where I don't have a stake in the game or have money in the game. Cause I don't have a baseball team. Maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need a baseball team. I know what team is closest to you and invites are always open. So there is that. I don't know. I don't know. They went to the world series last year. I think, or not the world series. They went to the, uh, league NLCS last year. I think I don't want to be a bandwagon fan quite yet. Oh, Cincinnati. we are not going Cincinnati back. <laughs> we are uh, not going back. Oh, I knew so that. You, you got to up the brakes there. But um, Cincinnati is also pretty close. So maybe they maybe are. Adopt I don't know why Cincinnati you subject yourself to being uh, a Reds, Reds fan. Though. <laughs> That's a lot to subject yourself to. But uh, but yeah, looking at the race ahead, uh, before we start anything, though, I do have to say simply because the timing worked out great. But only about an hour ago did the legendary Derek Jeter get inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I actually had some friends there um, out from Syracuse go to Cooperstown, which, yeah, Cooperstown is only about an hour away. It's very, very close to me. I haven't made a trip out there yet. Um, I actually did make a trip to Springfield, and I saw the Basketball Hall of Fame um, out there this weekend. So that was a really cool experience. Very much recommended if any of you are near the Boston or anywhere in New England area. But Cooperstown, I've heard, is amazing. I just haven't been yet myself, but I look forward to it. But uh, congratulations to Jeter doing that. Obviously one of the greatest Yankees of all time, which is saying a lot considering uh, the Yankees, but um, just wanted to shout that out to start, but looking ahead at the stats of, of where these teams are looking. So, so far 
through the race, and this may be not 100% updated with these stats because they change, obviously, every 10 seconds. But uh, looking at it right now, division leaders. Nobody has officially clinched the division, but we do have three teams and basically four teams that have it nearly clinched up. And that's the Milwaukee Brewers nearly locking up the NL Central, the Tampa Bay Rays with the AL East, the White Sox with the AL Central, and then the Astros with the AL West. Those are about done. Braves are pretty high favorites in the NL East with about a 74% chance to win that. Uh, that isn't exactly on, though, because that there's been basically the garbage fire division this season, and it changes every day. So that one is Braves are pretty likely, but... There's no guarantee yet. Uh, Dodgers and Giants is nearly a coin toss for who's going to win the West. Dodgers are a little bit favored, but it's really, really tight. Um, and then Phillies do have the second best chance in the NL East behind the Braves, about a 21% chance. And then the Mets have a very low odds, but still possible. And then finally the Athletics with a very slim chance to beat out the Astros, but it's probably not going to happen. Uh, beyond that, looking at overall playoff seeds, the Dodgers, Giants, Brewers, Rays, White Sox, Astros, and Braves have nearly locked up a spot. Uh, Yankees and Red Sox look like they're going to be the by far two most likely teams out of the AL to make it. And then Reds, Blue Jays, Phillies still have a somewhat decent shot. Uh, Padres, Mariners, A's, Mets, and Cardinals all pretty much falling off. Um, in terms of teams that are basically eliminated, that's everybody else. As of right now, the Pirates, D-backs, Rangers, and Orioles are the only ones mathematically gone. But the Twins, Cubs, Royals, Nats, Tigers, Marlins, Rockies, Angels, and Indians are all on life support and pretty much all are guaranteed to be eliminated at this point. So with that, we're looking pretty good as we exit out of um, August into September. I know we're sort of getting on the end of baseball season, but it's always exciting to see where these teams end up. But so far, if you got to make predictions for all these, I do think most of the teams that are leading are going to end up taking it. I do think the Yankees and Red Sox coming in there will probably end up nabbing those uh, wild card spots anyway. The Indians are 10 games behind the Yankees, and uh, I think it's 11 behind the Red Sox. So I don't really think they're going to have much luck in there. And even with the Mariners and A's that are much better teams off, they're actually only about three to four games behind the Yankees and Sox. But it's just tough to make that up with the schedule coming up. So Odds are still available, but I'm just doubting that's going to happen. It's going to be a pretty heavy uh, Eastern-focused AL. And then for the AL, with at least these teams finishing it off, it's going to be kind of the inverse with Dodgers and Giants both being, I would say, the best two teams in baseball. Uh, Brewers not actually that far behind as well as um, the Rays. But um, it's sort of tough to see where they may end up because it looks like the East is basically done because even if the Braves get it in. I mean, the Braves are 12 games behind the Brewers. They're... 15 games behind the Dodgers and there's 16 games behind the Giants who aren't even leading the division. So it looks like the NL East is not really going to do a lot in this playoff run. And I would be absolutely blown away if the Dodgers or the Giants don't end up making the world series out of the AL and or NL. And then even on the AL side, I doubt it's going to be a team like the White Sox simply because their division is so poor. And so seeing a team like Rays, Yankees, Red Sox seems pretty likely. So if I had to imagine, I think it's going to be very, very East coast versus very, very far West coast in the world series. If I had to make my guess right now, but um, like a Dodgers giants against a team like uh, the Rays, Yankees, Red Sox, I think is a lot more likely. So that's at least my calls right now looking into that. But um, if you have any other takes, you can feel free to have some now. Baseball. Woohoo. <laughs> and that was talking. Love the enthusiasm. <laughs> we love talking that. And then another sport that, um, that you may not know as super well, but a little bit of soccer. 
We actually have some pretty relevant stuff today because World Cup qualifying is finally back. And, oh boy, it's a fun time of year. It's also a very anxious time of year, considering if any of you listening watched the Trinidad and Tobago game uh, four years ago and how utterly scarring that game was. We hope to never have that happen again, but you never know. So this year we're finally switching things up in CONCACAF, which if you're not uh, familiar with the name, it is basically the soccer federation that controls all of North America which includes all the little Caribbean islands as well. So there are 35 FIFA nations total in there for three and a half spaces in the World Cup. And that one half means that the fourth team to qualify will go into an intercontinental playoff where they will play off with a few other teams that have like the half thing. So, for example, the one team from Oceania, a couple from South America, Europe, Africa, and they'll play together to earn those last spots in the World Cup. So the first round um, has actually already happened. That is in March uh, to June 2021. Uh, nations ranked six through 35 out of those 35 in CONCACAF are drawn into six groups of five and each team played every other team once and the six winners progressed. This is basically their way to weed out like the St. Kitts and Nevis versus Aruba. Like they're really, really small. They shouldn't be playing USA and Mexico round one. So they weed those teams out. Round two has also already happened. So it's the six winners played head and sorry, home and away in direct elimination format. And the three winners of that advance and the final round, which is occurring right now, is called the Octagon. It used to be called the Hexagon when there were six teams. But the winners plus the teams ranked one through five join in the Octagon. So eight teams play head-to-head for a total of 14 matches. Top three directly. The last one, as I mentioned, goes into Intercontinental Playoffs. So those eight teams, in order of their placement right now, Mexico, Panama, Canada, Honduras, USA, El Salvador, Costa Rica, and Jamaica. I can't and- we're below Canada. Um, it's yeah, it's I not great, but grew with Canada. Now, to be fair, Canada, Honduras, USA, El Salvador are all tied with two points, and then Costa Rica one, Jamaica zero, Panama then with four, and Mexico at six. So again, it depends where we were at. Yes, USA drew, uh, drew El Salvador zero zero on the road, and then drew Canada one one at home. And tonight we play Honduras on the road. It'll be on Paramount Plus if you happen to have that. I don't really know anyone who does, but if you I do, do, you want to? Oh well, then there you go. Yeah. So great. You should watch the game. It's tied at 10 30. March Madness. Um, well, then actually, yeah, they do have a lot on there. So, uh, you know, that might be an interesting way to get some access in on that. So I think that that is pretty neat. So um, those games are lots of fun. Uh, match days one through eight, which we are currently in, is from last, uh, well, a month ago, August through November. And then they take a break throughout the colder months and then you start back up from January until March. 2022 getting ready for the 2022 world cup all the way in november so on that note yes the team usa has had a not entirely stellar start uh honduras uh sorry el salvador on the road isn't exactly the easiest time given that uh first of all the conca calfing of refs is very bizarre as well as playing on the road in a lot of these underdeveloped places is and i mean like literally the stadium and the field are are in horrible shape usually that's what happened with the trinidad game which not an excuse, still should have won or at least tied, but it is terrible conditions usually in that stadium. Um, and then the Canada draw, yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, we, uh, you got to take it at that win. And even though Canada, this is a better Canada team, and I think we've nearly ever faced ever, which I will give them credit. Canada yeah, does deserve some credit here. Hotbed Canada. I, I, and I will give them credit. I really will. Alfonso Davies is, is a starter in Bundesliga on Bayern. Like, I mean, it's. I will give Canada credit. They're no longer a terrible team. They aren't, but should we finish behind them? Obviously not, but it still is clearly not the best start. So, Conca Cap, we're going to continue tonight. We will have that game. We'll have an update on that next podcast, but 
nervously looking forward to that. Obviously, we need to get at least something out of that. You cannot lose that, but getting a winner would be pretty big. So there we go on that end of it. But as we now move on, we move into college football week one recap. We have the whole preview available for you up on our YouTube page here and put on social media. So you can see all of our takes and how some of them have aged pretty well. And some of them have already crashed and burned horribly, which again, it's week one. So you never know. Things could turn around either for the better or worse. Some teams you really liked week one that we thought were going to be good could fall apart and vice versa. So what we have on here is biggest winners and losers. If any of you have followed on the going the distance sports um, podcast website, I know of course the what podcast you'll be listening right now, but the website, I actually made a list of this winners losers. I wrote an article about this. So I'm basically just copy pasting what I'm saying in there into here. But of course, we get your takes as well, Noah, here. But on winners and losers, who were the biggest winners this week in your eyes? All right. So we'll go in alternating order here, one and one. My first winner is Chip Kelly. This was a guy who, when he came back to college football, everyone is underestimating Chip Kelly. Everyone said, and he was an abject failure in the NFL. He's terrible with the Niners, he's terrible with the Eagles. But this is a guy who knows how to run a college football program and who's been pretty good at it um, in the past, if I do say so myself. So getting Chip Kelly back into college football, and remember, there were rumors that he might have been looking at Florida, might have been some interest there a little interesting coaching carousel in retrospect. But for Chip Kelly's team to come out and play the way they did against LSU, who recruits on an obviously higher level, who won a national championship two years ago, and granted, this is not the LSU team of two years ago, not anywhere close. Um, And I don't think they're going to be anywhere close this year unless Max Johnson can figure it out. Um, This was a really, really strong effort from the Bruins, um, really able to limit the Tigers on the ground, get a big win at home uh, in probably the most hyped UCLA home game in years. I mean, just based on attendance. Um, Side note from that game, I I found out that the LSU fans had – had – drink the entire LSU section out of beer by the first quarter. That's impressive. The entire LSU section was sold of this Rose Bowl was sold out of beer by the first quarter. Um, and for UCLA to top that uh, and beat the Tigers, uh, I'm sure there was a lot of sad drinking from Tigers. It's only, uh, only my second favorite beer-related story of the college football weekend. <laughs> there is a there is a funnier one yes i'm interested to hear number one jack who is your first winner here and we'll we'll get to that i'll bring it back later but my number one here on this is actually kind of expanding on your point but mine is the entire pac-12 south minus arizona but the whole pac-12 south minus arizona played very very well this weekend and deserves a lot of credit and if you're going to go down the line of it Number one on here you're going to have in terms of at least ranking was USC, who ended up playing San Jose State, who you may think, well, that should be an easy win. But if you watched last season at all, it's not an easy win. San Jose State played a really good season, one of their best in history, 
winning their uh, Mountain West division and actually going on to win the Mountain West. I called that game. They played Boise State and won, so they are actually a pretty competent team, and USC took them down without a ton of trouble, at least in the second half. Number 24, Utah also showed up and had a big win, and number 25, Arizona State, which, again, we'll get to later why getting big wins over bad opponents wasn't exactly a given this weekend. But the three ranked teams ended up doing really well. Uh, UCLA, of course, as you mentioned, taking down LSU in the one um, unranked over unranked um, win of the whole division. Bruins are now 2-0. and And overall look pretty good. Everyone in this division looks solid. They look to be a pretty decent division so far. Colorado won their game, too. They, they we didn't do it in a ton of fashion, but they won, too. Um, again, Arizona with their loss didn't look great. But overall, the Pac-12 South, especially for a division with the Pac-12, that everybody rags on the Pac-12 all the time. And a lot of it's deserved, but we do have a division that's a legitimately really good one that I think could do a lot this season. Now, the Pac-12 North was a different story, but at least on the South, they had a very, very successful weekend. Yeah, absolutely. My second winner is my preseason predictions. Uh, I am the winner in this case because uh, if you'll remember back to a week ago, my playoff predictions were Georgia – Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. So mostly right, but not the not the right order. But not getting the, the right, right order. Teams. But the four, the four were right. Um, and I think there's a great chance that we get two SEC teams in here. We'll get to Georgia and Sadly. Clemson. We'll go a little more in depth on that uh, here in a minute. But I think Georgia has got a legit chance, and I'm not sure how much that Clemson defense factored into Georgia's offensive struggles. Again, there were no touchdowns in that game. Uh, So, you know, on both sides of the ball or on, on both sides of the coin on both sides of the field, uh, it was tough sledding on offense. And I just think it was one of those games. I'm fully confident that we'll see Georgia's offense um, return to, well, return to form against the tough sec east yes will take shape over the rest of the year as they get to play uh teams like tennessee and uh this vanderbilt (laughs) and vanderbilt oh my goodness that's that game that game i mean if georgia wanted to they they could put a hundred on them (laughs) yeah i went to a uh tailgate before that game and I mean, no one cared about the game, rightfully so. And it was still one of the worst tailgates I've ever been to. Maybe the worst tailgate that I've ever been to in my life. But Jack, give me winner number two. Uh, Winner number two actually leads into that. And I'll be short on this because I want to talk about the game later. But just the whole defensive unit of Georgia. And as you know, I'm not someone to go overboard praising Georgia a lot, but you can't not do that here. I mean, Clemson went into this with an obviously excellent offense from last season. Now, again, you did. We're missing a lot of players. A lot went pro. It was very obvious this was not 2020 Clemson at all, but they still were shockingly bad. And I'll get to the stats on this game later when we get more into it, but it was a historically bad offensive performance from from Clemson, which is because of the very good yeah, and it's because of the really good defensive performance of Georgia, not just because they were incompetent. It's because Georgia shut them down. And now, again, Clemson will not play another team like that on the season, at least until no. the postseason, But still and it's very play. obvious. Yes, Clemson still minus any kind of epic, insane disaster will still make the playoffs. All this game does is basically prevent any kind of boost to them and does put them on the list of saying, 
while you don't really have a particularly hard schedule left, you cannot screw up at all. That was their game they had for leeway. So now Clemson's leash is very short. Again, not a very hard walk down the road, but the leash is very short. So that was my my big one there. Georgia's defense um, was incredibly impressive. Absolutely. So my third and final, um, which actually, yeah, it, it these all segued so perfectly. My third and final uh, winner for this week is Big Ten football. Because if you like watching two defenses absolutely slug it out, you got your money's worth this weekend between Penn State, Wisconsin, which was an awesome game. What an awesome week one college football game. And then you get Clemson, Georgia, which should have been an honorary Big Ten game. Uh, I believe Big it was a very classic. Probably dub it an honorary Big Ten game in which neither team scored a touchdown the entire game. And that's Big Ten football, if I've ever seen it. Big Ten football (laughs) is the winner this weekend. And I did want to throw in my honorable mention for the weekend, which is Kansas, the state and the school, because the school uh, got their first win since, I believe, 2019, because I'm pretty sure they went winless last year, if I'm not wrong. And then Kansas State. Coming out and laying yeah. on Stanford. So the entire state of Kansas, uh, but specifically KU, uh, is my honorable mention of the week. I have to I have to tell you to thank you to to thank you for making me flip K State and Texas on my riser faller list because it seems that was very true. Um, and again, and that's not knocking Texas, but they um, we'll go through their game later. And it's not like they had a ton of trouble this weekend, but. There's still a lot left to see what Texas can do. They might still um, lose to Kansas. I, I'm still not. Yeah, Texas didn't fully sell me, but they didn't like flop. So I was like, okay, we'll wait. But uh, anyway, on to my end of this segment. Um, my my last winner here, which I think may be the most impressive out of all of this, was the 19 plus point underdogs. Three different teams that were um, underdogs by 19 points or more won, which has never happened in any weekend of college football ever. And happened to three different teams. So that is just insanely impressive by itself. I'll get into more specifics of that a little bit later. Won't be well, a long time. I've got the bit. list if you just want me to read it right now. Oh, yeah, you can go ahead with it. Montana beating UW, which will segue perfectly into my losing. A ranked UW, mind you. Only the sixth time in history that a ranked team has lost to an FCS school. Only six times ever has that happened and somehow it happened shout out to the grizz up in missoula for getting the job done there uh niu uh i believe it's north was that northern illinois or iowa northern illinois oh yeah this segment we can just call it the agony olympics because it's just pure pain right here we're just saying what event are you suffering through so washington fans you are in probably the biggest suffering moment i mean you are the first fcs win of ranked opponents since 2016 Second least amount of points actually scored in a loss um, since 1983 when Penn State lost to then FCS Cincinnati 14-3. to So that's pretty painful. And, yeah, talking about NIU, Georgia Tech, Took the trust the process. Uh, Jeff Collins is on the – the seat's actually not hot anymore because it already burned up. 22-21 uh, to 21 loss to Northern Illinois, missing three field goals and allowing eight points on the final drive. Yeah, I, I complained about this before last year. If any of you listened to this last year, I complained about it last year. I complained about it two years ago 
In 2019, we started this podcast, I complained about it. And I'm still here two years later saying, why did we sign this man to a seven-year contract with basically no buyout option to a guy that has no real proven huge success? I mean, yeah, he did pretty decently at Temple, but it wasn't like they were any kind of world beater. And then now we bring him here and he has the whole like swagger thing and the Waffle House thing and the hashtags and the Twitter. And that's cool. But I don't care if we go back-to-back seasons of winning three games and then the opener with no excuses this time because the year zero switching from an option to a pro, that's an excuse. Year two with COVID, that's a slight excuse. But then now, no more excuses. And somehow, he still blows this game. And the first thing he says when he gets out of there is just just wait till we're winning. Wait till we're this winning program. We have all the best. We have the best team we've had. We've got all the big guys. I'm like, I don't care. This team went 0-6 in the MAC last year. This team has won four or five games in two years combined. And you're still going to sit there and say, we'll still be the winning team. I'm like, we may, we may beat Duke. Duke's pretty horrific. We may beat Kennesaw State this weekend. They're pretty bad. But other than that, this was one of the gimme games. We paid them a million dollars, $1 million. We paid them to come here and play. And then they beat us. And it's like, Syracuse may be a better team in tech this year. They were last year when they, they beat them by be. 17. They but overall, the, and we'll get to Syracuse later that actually have some odd praising for them. But it's just, it blows my mind. And then the last yeah, one was ETSU beating Vanderbilt. But it's just. Yeah, uh, we, we went through that one. But I love the quote there. Just wait till we start winning. Yeah, well, when's that, buddy? <laughs> I've, I've waited i've waited over a thousand days for that and we're still sitting here so it's and that's not exaggerating it's been three years so it's i i just i don't get it i don't understand it i don't know what we're doing and maybe we'll figure it out but sometime but moving on oh and then just want to say i honorable mention mckenzie milton he needed a shout out incredible story look it up if you haven't um shame that fsu didn't win that game but on to our losers speaking of these teams losers the entire tobacco road if you were a blue team from North Carolina, oh you suffered this weekend. Uh, North Carolina we'll get to later just because that was a bigger game, losing to Virginia Tech. That happened on Thursday. Um, it made North Carolina be comical at the number 10 spot. Um, that was a laughable spot for them. Um, and now I feel a lot better about my take, saying that the ACC Coastal was a lot more wide open than we think it is because we're forgetting that the ACC Coastal makes no sense, and every year something stupid happens to it. Even if there's a shoe-in winner like North Carolina – uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> they'll mess it up. And then Miami, who comes in after, they'll screw it up too. So it's just the Coastal's anybody's to win this year, as it usually is. So Shout it, out Virginia Tech. Shout out Virginia Tech. And they deserve credit. Defense. They do. Their they defense do. was lights out against Sam Howell, who was not very good. I mean, it's a college game, so they gave him some chances, obviously. They gave North Carolina plenty of chances to get back in that game. And North Carolina just never really seemed interested in playing physical football. Uh, it seemed like they just wanted to get the ball in the perimeter and try to run past everybody. And Virginia Tech's DBs were not about that life. They were going hard in the paint. Uh, physical, physical game from the West Virginia, uh, the West Virginia, the Virginia Tech defense uh, to really put it on the Tar Heels um, in that game. And did want to note first- too. Wanted to note, too, about this. This is Virginia Tech's first home AP top 10 win since 2009. And then Duke, the other blue North Carolina team who blew it, lost to Charlotte, which gave Charlotte their first ever win against a FBS program. So, yeah, Yeah, pretty horrible week for them. Joined the FBS uh, a few years ago. (laughs) 
so bad. What a mess in North Carolina. So bad. My first loser is Jimmy Lake, the head coach of Washington. Um, Because I told you before the season, Uh, I don't trust this coaching staff. I have not seen anything promising out of this team beyond just being kind of an average AC, you know, average Pac-12 team. I don't even know if they'll get to average now. This team might suck this year. Uh, That was a very poor effort. Um, I have literally watched the Montana Grizzlies uh, practice football because their practice field is like within perfect view of a park in Missoula uh, where my friend and I were walking to the grocery store. There are literally fly fishermen like right next to their – right next to their practice field, like throwing in flies on a river. And then you've got the Washington Huskies who put several defensive players in the NFL over the last six years, quality defensive players, mind you. This is a team, one of like, what, 10 teams, if that, to ever even make the college football playoff. And they just lost to... uh, God, I forgot about that. (laughs) We all forget about Washington's very short trip to the playoff, which I still think is funny that back when, you know, college football was actually fun to watch, but um, at least right, postseason, big time games. Yeah, before, yeah, before, before it's – Yeah, before uh, that became you, unfun, but yeah. These are all kind of blending together at this point, but go ahead yeah. with your second loser. Well, my second loser was Jeff Collins, who was the Georgia Tech uh, – I, I wish it was was, but is the Georgia Tech uh, head coach. I already mentioned a good chunk of um, of why he's a failure here. It's 6-15 and 15 since starting at head coach, which uh, I'm no mathematician, but that's bad. Um, I don't know really any other Georgia Tech coaches who have done that. And again, seven-year contract. If we do fire him right now, we have to pay him 100% of all of the money through the end of his contract, which we're on year three. So – yeah, I don't know who drew up the contracts here because I thought we were a smart school. Apparently not. So we're kind of locked in on that end. And again, there are parts of what Collins has done that are good. I'm not trying to totally rag on him. Has Georgia Tech totally changed their image for the better? Yes. Is it much more enticing to go to Georgia Tech in terms of what their marketing has been and what their sales have been and having Adidas and all these other things? Yes. It's a way better thing than what Paul Johnson had. But the problem is, is that Paul Johnson, while he did not care at all about marketing his team or recruiting he could really really coach people to do what he wanted in his weird scheme and it worked a lot georgia tech had him from 2008 until 2018 through those seasons and we had four of those seasons where georgia tech was a legitimate national contender 2008 2009 2014 2016 tech was an actually really good top 25 and occasionally top 10 school and i get that that's not a ton but four times in that, what, 11 seasons is still a pretty good time. And so it just sort of kills me that then, Collins, I get in year three, we weren't supposed to be going to the national title game or anything or be a top 10 team. That wasn't the expectation. But this year's expectation is a bowl game. Tech should, at this point in the system rebrand, should be going to a bowl game, especially in a very weak ACC Coastal. They should be going to a bowl game. And you play three gimme games. So it's like it's unfathomable that you can sit there and have three complete joke games, you've already blown one of them, and still end up under six wins, which will probably happen this year. It's very unlikely Tech goes to a bowl game. Yeah, and speaking of marketing, I bet TiVo is really regretting that investment this week after they sponsored every single player on Georgia Tech. 
Uh, who Gee, great marketing move. Great move for the yeah. players. I love that he did that. It's just you have to win too. We love all this other stuff. It's great. He's getting – it's like making a cake with just frosting. Like I love frosting, but if you don't have the cake there, what does the frosting mean? You have to have both. Good point. And I love – and even if you have cake just straight up without frosting, like what Paul Johnson did, it's still a cake. It's not a very pretty cake, cake but it's good. still a cake. We cake like is cake. still good. And frosting is awesome, like but you gotta have the cake. Have you seen the Have you seen Hard Knocks this year? Emmanuel, I need to. I haven't yet. Manuel no, Alarcon from the Cowboys. I want to eat the cake. I want to try the cake. <laughs> That's me at this point. It's very oh, painful. that was so funny. All right, I'm gonna go into my uh, second loser, which shouldn't take very long because it coincides with uh, one of my winners. But the entire state of Louisiana was a loser this weekend and i don't Bad. mean to you know add um oh <laughs> add insult ah. to injury yeah I that's really a, that's don't a tough I, sentence I, look, <laughs> yeah I, yeah i was like wait a minute that <laughs> i i really oh boy. <laughs> i really think uh you know i i really we don't want to crap on the state of louisiana in their current state uh, our prayers and our hearts go out to the people of Louisiana affected by the hurricane. Uh, but the football, the football teams, teams. <laughs> this weekend looked like shit, <laughs> quite <laughs> frankly. And yeah, it was, and, it was not, no, yeah, not a good weekend for LSU and not a good weekend for uh, the raging Cajuns of Louisiana, uh, who we really thought were going to take more of a stab at uh, the Texas Longhorns led for a minute led for a tiny bit and then and it's gone so Some yeah the state of louisiana was not great uh in football this weekend um and 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 i think that was incredibly obvious they are a big loser uh, my last loser here is smart schools, which we talked about a little bit of these. But uh, if you want to think about what are some schools that have great academics that didn't particularly do well. And I almost had a little bit of these smart schools, specifically more with the um, side of private ones. But there are some public ones that screwed up, too. Now, we already talked about Duke and Vanderbilt blowing it hard. But Stanford, we mentioned, got absolutely rocked by Kansas State. Cal, who had a very disappointing loss to Nevada, who I did call Nevada was going to be a very serious team this year and get some good wins, which they had a very solid win with Carson Strong. But Cal still blew that. And then Rice also lost, which Rice, I only put them on here because Rice should have beaten Arkansas. They were beating them a good chunk of the game, leading them 17-7 to at halftime, and then just sort of fell apart and Arkansas came out and won. So only mean that with all these teams that are, uh, you know, pretty high academics, but not too great on the football field, at least this year. So unfortunate for them. Yeah, no, I like that. That was a creative one. Not a good week for smart schools. Well, my final biggest loser of the week uh, is fans of Big 12 football. Because now that Texas has won a game, we're never going to hear the end of how good the Texas Longhorns are going to be under Steve Sarkeesian. And then they're going to inevitably blow it and end up irrelevant and probably win a bowl game. And we'll just repeat this whole song and dance next summer. And now we can move on to our top games of the week. A lot of these we've already talked about. So basically we're going to go over the big games that we haven't really talked about, which there were a good chunk more. 
Uh, typically, how we're going to do this um, in the future is to choose probably like the top five best ones and go through that because we're going to have obviously a lot of NFL coverage to do because usually we go through all the NFL games because there's only about, what, about eight? I mean, and usually not even that because teams have bye week. So the NFL, we can cover all the games easier because there's just not that many. College football, as you know, is so many games, so you just have to sift through it some. So what I did is I just went through some of these, and we're going to get these knocked out. But to start off, we're going to start at the top. We're going to go through these down by rankings, uh, to, at least to start. And we're going to start with the rolling tide of Alabama, which they came into Atlanta on a mission. And they usually do this when they start out with these neutral site games against these other ranked teams. We saw it against USC out in Texas a few years ago. We, we, we've, we've seen this story before. And they had no trouble. Bryce Young was unbelievably good. He actually set Alabama records for the most yards and touchdowns in a starting debut, 344 yards and four touchdowns. It could easily be one of the new Heisman favorites after week one. I actually can't believe I didn't talk about him with Heisman favorites uh, when we had our preview because I really liked him, and I thought that Alabama was going to be that good. So I don't know how I missed that in our in our preview, but it's pretty unbelievable how good Alabama looked in this game. And I get Miami was an overrated team. I get we both talked about ahead of time how this team being number 14 was quite the reach. And even I like Miami a little bit, but I was like, they're not the 14th best team in the country. And that was clear. But I also don't think that they are just an awful team either. I mean, they didn't show up much, but I do think that Bama just deserves it and were that good. I think it's really tough for most teams that are around Miami's level to look really great against Alabama. And I am really am excited to watch more Miami in the Coastal than Alabama in the West simply because I think that no other team than A&M is going to give Alabama too much trouble in the West, especially looking at how LSU performed and then even Auburn looking decently, which why are they ranked? But at least looking at Auburn's list of that Auburn. should not. Uh, Auburn's perpetually like, in the 20s. They're always they're in the like 20s every time. Like They've actually done something in the last 10 years. They just 20. get the benefit of the doubt. If there's a 12-team playoff, you can bet fourth rank. I mean, a four-loss Auburn is making it into the 12-team playoff at some point. Just based off, you never know. It's just, never it know. is ridiculous. So it's that's at least like, with Auburn. You have any other takes on the Bama game? I know it was a fairly cut and dry game, but oh boy, De'Aaron King, buddy, that was a tough one. That was a really tough one. Let's take a look at the stat line: twenty for thirty. So he completed seventy-six percent of his passes but only for 179 yards and 3.6 yards per attempt with two interceptions. And, I mean, if this, if this team is not going to give him any help on the ground, this team is going to crash and burn this year, like every other Miami team ever since, like, Ray Lewis was there. This, this could be a bad Miami team. And, look, I'm not saying that Miami – is going to be a bad team this year just based off of uh, just based off of the Bama game, but they didn't even look remotely competitive. So if you think this is a wild card to uh, to upset Clemson, and I realize that Clemson didn't look that great either, but if you think this is a wild card to upset Clemson in the ACC, you are sadly mistaken, my friend. Which thankfully I didn't call that, <laughs> mind you yeah. too. I wasn't. I wasn't even thinking that end of it. I did think Miami could be better than this. Um, they also allowed 500 yards. I mean, it was. It, it's the defense was absolutely non-existent. Bama did absolutely whatever they wanted to do, which usually that is the case. Bama tends to do 
most whatever they want to do. But or sorry, Alabama does well. Also comes in uh, does whatever they want to do against teams um, that they end up playing. But it was pretty cut and dry. After that, we have Oklahoma, our first Big Twelve team off the board, which we were a little. I, I, I know number two. I mean, I was singing praises of Oklahoma preseason. I still was a little surprised at number two, but it looks like uh, now even Oklahoma might be a little surprised is at number two because six? no, it is not. Uh, yeah, this was a pretty irritating game for me only because of my prediction. Now, obviously being a TCU fan, I wasn't particularly saddened that Oklahoma ended up not really looking great. I'm obviously never really pulling for Oklahoma to do a lot, but at least for my own take to stay still, I was now is Tulane an absolutely horrific team. No, but did they take, did Oklahoma take their hospitality a little bit too far? Maybe they did because they said, you know what? We'll give Tulane the logos on the field. We'll make them feel at home, make them feel nice. But they made him feel a little bit too much at home, I think. To be fair, everyone should have the angry wave on their field. That is true. It's a beautiful logo. And also Pratt, the Tulane quarterback, 300 yards and three touchdowns. Actually looked pretty decent. He also had That's 34 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Against Oklahoma. He didn't look bad. He really didn't look that bad. And also Oklahoma scored 23 straight in the second quarter. It's, again, not like they were out of this game. But my only question on this game, is that Oklahoma still had three drives that ended up getting a field goal, including one that was a 26-yard field goal that was only four plays, two yards, starting the ball deep within Tulane territory and being able to do nothing. So that's the one question I have on this team, is that even against a team like Tulane, why is Oklahoma having to take so many field goals when they should be getting down the field easily getting touchdowns? Now, they still score plenty of touchdowns, but it's a little concerning when your last five drives that were scoring, only two were touchdowns. That seems strange to me. Look, here's the difference between Spencer Rattler and Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were both great, quick decision makers. Spencer Rattler loves to sit back in the pocket and launch that thing deep. And he has maybe the prettiest deep ball in the country right now. He has definitely, I would say, he's a top three arm in the entire country, uh, just in terms of arm talent. But his decision-making, the quick trigger, the quick decision-making has not been there. Um, And I really think it showed this last weekend. And I think that's why you're seeing so many field goals, because once they get down into the red zone and everything compresses and the game speeds up and you've got to make quicker decisions and you can't just rely on your arm talent, um, I think that's where Spencer Rattler's uh, flaw is. Uh, and and I think that's going to continue to show itself. Moving on to our next game, we have number three versus number five, the only top five battle of the weekend, and a pretty rare top five battle for week one. We usually don't see that. And this was Georgia against Clemson, a game that I wasn't particularly thrilled to watch being a Georgia Tech fan. That's the two biggest rivals. So what a week of agony it was for me. But um, but yeah, Georgia ended up beating Clemson in this game 10-3 to in a horrific offensive game, but a really good defensive game, as we already touched on a good amount before. Um, but the one point that I don't think a lot of people are making in this game, and again, for a reason, it isn't the number one point. The number one point in this game is obviously that, that Georgia's defense is at least performed the best in the country so far. But the point of Georgia's offense was terrible. And JT Daniels was like the reason why Georgia competed to a big degree last year when they did. And when he wasn't in was when they lost games like the Florida game. But when he was in and doing really well, Georgia looked really good. And so my question is, yeah, the Georgia defense is set and looks good. And I get Clemson's defense is solid too. But Georgia's offense looked really bad. And I'm just sort of wondering, 
that may be an issue. And if you don't get the crazy pick six, who knows what would have happened in this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm not writing off either of these quarterbacks because yeah, and I guess it's, it's great defense. You at, I know. You look at the stats for this game, and you want to see where the game was won. It was in the trenches. It was mm-hmm. Georgia being able to stuff the Clemson run and then being able to at least move the ball a little bit on the other side um, with their run game, with Zamir White and James Cook in that backfield who are phenomenal. And just based on this game, again, I said this at the beginning, I am not taking stock of either offense based on this game because this is just an old-fashioned defensive battle where running the football is key. And if Georgia, if their offense is not going to finally move into the 21st century and they're not going to embrace more of these spread concepts and they're not going to be a high-powered offense like Alabama is, even though they're recruiting at the same level, I don't know what to tell you. I I mean, if if they're not going to move this offense into the 21st century, they're not going to have that much success. But – if they can defend like they did against this Clemson offense and they can stop the run like they did and keep everything in front of them in the passing game with sticky physical man cover two and man cover one, this could be a really good team just based off the fact that they can run the ball and play defense. But in 2021, I just don't know if that's going to win you uh, the SEC, much less the national championship. And the other note I wanted to put on this, a few stats that I, I held off a little bit um, earlier. So this is the first game without a touchdown for Clemson since 2007, um, which is the first time ever under Dabo Sweeney. He took over a little bit in 08 as an interim in 09, his first full season. It also snaps a 10-game winning streak against SEC teams. that dates back to 2014. And UGA's seven sacks on Clemson is the most the Tigers have allowed under Dabo at all. And the last time that Clemson dropped two games in a row, if you date back to the Ohio State game earlier this year, was 2011. So this was a historic game for Clemson. Now, remember, Clemson was not a blue blood at all before Dabo Sweeney came in. Most of Clemson's history is not good. Georgia Tech still holds the record in the all-time series between the two teams, despite Clemson blowing Tech out for what seems like forever now of years and years and years. I mean, at least the last 10 years, it's been a non-competition. And yet Georgia Tech still owns that record by a good amount of games. Like Clemson is not a blue blood team, but since Dabo, he's completely transformed this team into a pretty decent program into one of the best in the country. And so that's why a lot of these stats are pretty shocking given how good Clemson's been, but Georgia just absolutely manhandled them. But now we turn to another game. If you don't have anything else to say on that. No, no, we can move on. Uh, next game up was actually a Thursday night game. Again, not a ton to say about this game simply because it wasn't a lot, but Ohio State played Minnesota. Great fight from the Gophers here. I'll give them credit. I kind of thought they were going to roll over and die a little bit. Uh, Minnesota was up at halftime by four. Now they did fall down the third quarter. Um, Strout had almost 300 yards and four touchdowns, a pretty uh, bad in the first half. Uh, Ibrahim was insane for Minnesota, but he has an injury and he's out for the entire rest of the season. So terrible, terrible news for Minnesota there. That that unfortunately is not only going to be terrible for the player, but also maybe the uh, nail in the coffin for a lot of this team's major success, given that he is their offense. So that's really tough for a team like Minnesota, but, um, and obviously for the player. So, you know, we wish him a full recovery as quick as possible, but we know that it's very unlikely to last any of this season at all. But 
unfortunate there for them. But again, a little interesting. Ohio State didn't roll this team over. We thought that they were just going to hand Minnesota a fat L and get on with it. And again, they still won by two touchdowns. It wasn't like it was a crazy close game, but Minnesota put up a lot more fight than I think we would have expected them to, though there is nothing quite like halftime down Ohio State coming back out and getting the second half done. They tend to do that pretty often, but it's um it's still not the best performance from a team that we thought was going to look a lot better. So um, I don't know. I'm excited to see where Ohio State may end up this year. And look, I was not impressed with C.J. Shroud at all, at all. And again, the stat line was was not bad, but it's just the if the eye test and, and the first half gonna were bad. be the story yeah. of the season. He's just yeah. gonna get 300 yards and four touchdowns because Ohio State is clearly better than everyone else in the Big Ten, and it's not even yeah, it's not it's close. It's not close. So I do. I am excited about the Penn State game, though. I am excited yeah, about what that. That's going to be. I'll give him that. Did you uh, and, see and, those yeah. Penn State DBs? Let's just go ahead and move on to Penn State. We'll take it out of the order later. Did you see those Penn State DBs? I'm telling I you, man. I'm telling God. you. I told you to look. For, I told you. I said for freshmen to look out for, for teams to look out for. Look at the Penn State secondary. I was telling I this week ago. I swear to God, all of those dudes look about 6'2", 205, and run like the wind. Now, granted, it was against Wisconsin, not known as Wisconsin's not bad. But not known. No, what I'm saying is not the greatest downfield, you know, vertical, air it out passing offense. Yeah, that's Um, that's and their run their run offense looked really good. But here's the thing: Graham Mertz was not able to push the ball down the field whatsoever. They didn't get hardly any deep plays, hardly any big plays out of the passing game. I don't know about Graham Mertz at this point, but I do know about this Penn State defense. They're going to be legit, and I think they are the best shot this year to give Ohio State a run for their money. Oh, absolutely, and you can even tell in this game how they did that because Mertz, you know, had all this huge hype coming in, the quarterback out of Wisconsin, and he did nothing. 27 for 30, uh, 22 for 37, 185 yards and two picks, no touchdowns, and – what potentially was the game losing fumble with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter fumbled it. The Penn state won after getting well, a sack for six yards fumbled it at the seven, but that could have won the game. It was 16 to 10 at that point it ended up finishing 16 to 10, but yeah, again, a weird game, no score. I mean, scoreless at halftime and uh, 16 to 10, only three touchdowns scored all game and a PAT failed, but um, or sorry, uh, two. Yeah, so three touchdowns total. Sorry, three touchdowns total. Um, Penn State with two and a failed PAT, and then Wisconsin with one. But a very odd game overall. Very Big Ten game, as you said. But um, and then Dotson looked great for Penn State too. Five receptions, 102 yards on a touchdown. He was fantastic. So again, Penn State looked great. They definitely got a big jump up in the rankings from 19 all the way to 11, which was. One of the biggest gains of the week. We'll actually go through the AP list in a minute. But um, impressive look for them there. But to look out for some other games that were around that Midwest area, Iowa State, you and I. Now, I talked up a lot of hype on Iowa State this season, and I'm getting a little sweaty now because, oh boy, they almost lost to you and I. And they didn't, mind you, but what are we doing here? Because we had Brees Hall, who I talked so much hype about, and he had 23 carries for 69 yards and a score. I have an excuse. I I think that they were looking forward to the Cyhawk next weekend, which is going to be electric given how well Iowa played this week against Indiana. 
and that's fair too. And I do think that at the end of the day, a win's a win, and you do want to win your games well and play hard and do everything you can do to look better. And I get they obviously didn't look great this weekend, but at the end of the day, they're still one to know. And so I think that, yeah, looking ahead to Iowa, that game should be the game of the week. Um, I actually forgot that we used to have that game of the week on here. We will do that again next week, which, again, I would predict that game will be game of the week, but yeah. you never know. Um, excited for that one, though. Uh, another game with another kind of Midwesty team, but they were down uh, south a bit, was Notre Dame-Florida State. This was our Sunday night football game, and – this was a weird game. Now, again, this was McKenzie Milton's kind of comeback game where he came in in the fourth quarter and actually led the Knowles to a, a comeback and helped tie the game up on those last few drives. And first of all, goes to show what a disaster that quarterback room was before that because if you look at the stats of the starting quarterback, uh, Travis for Florida State, he was horrible. Nine for 19, 130 yards. Did get two scores, but three picks. I mean – Nearly threw the game away. Corbin was ridiculous on the ground, though. 15 carries for 144 yards on a score. He was fantastic. But I think this game taught us a lot, though, because I think it taught us that Florida State is not back, but they're the closest they've been in a while. This Florida State team is a team that's actually competent, and they have not been competent in a few years. And it taught us that Notre Dame, while they're not the top upper echelon of college football as they were a couple years ago, which they weren't like crazy high, but they were a lot better. I do think Notre Dame can handle a good amount of games this year because they do have a tough stretch of their schedule, but there are a lot of winnable games on that Fighting Irish schedule. Yeah, and I told you before the year, I think Mike Norvell is going to do a better job than people expect this year. Why? Because he did a lot more with a lot less in filling in for Justin Fuente at Memphis. So I know this is a guy that knows how to score points, knows how to build a program, and I just loved what I saw out of the Florida State team. I think they had phenomenal chemistry. I think they dominated both sides of the ball on the, in the trenches. Uh, that's clearly shown by the rushing numbers. Their D-line played fantastic. Their offensive line was able to get a push on the Notre Dame front, which is typically uh, the strength of this Notre Dame team. But the surprise of the game was that Jack Cohn for Notre Dame – you look With good. Thompson transfer <laughs> looked really good. And now we have no idea whether this is like the Big 12 effect where like anyone can throw for 600 yards on Texas Tech on any given week. But I don't know. Florida State recruits at a pretty high level still, even though it's not what it used to be. There's still some talent on this team in the defensive backfield. And Jack Cohn was chopping them up like Swiss cheese. I mean, it was ridiculous, quite frankly. Um, and is Jack Cohn going to be better than Ian Book? That's my question. I mean, I think that is uh, fairly possible with what we have here. Now, again, I, Ian Book did put up some crazy numbers and was was big, big, big time for this Notre Dame team. But, again, I think a lot of us looking at the schedule. And I know we look at the schedule a lot, but this one really matters, obviously, with Notre Dame because of them not being in a conference. And next up, you have Toledo and Purdue, which should be pretty simple games. But then after that, this stretch, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, at Virginia Tech, USC, UNC. That's a hard stretch. And that if Notre Dame makes it out of that stretch, game. if they can make it out of that stretch with – I mean, I can't possibly see them going undefeated in that stretch. But if you win three or four games – this could be a New York Six quality team. 
And I think that they've proven that they can get close to that. Now, again, Florida State was very close to winning this game. Very, very close. So they didn't miss a field goal late, which, again, they, yeah, they iced their own kicker. So too a good job. For comfort for the Irish. <laughs> yeah, this was a little too close, but we'll see how they do because, again, a lot of games last season were named held way too close. Then when they had to play, the big teams came out and beat them. So I'll give them that in. But pretty impressive on that ratio there. Uh, next up, uh, we talked actually a good amount about Virginia Tech and UNC. Uh, the only other games I mentioned here in this sort of after the top 10 was Oregon. I uh, ended up beating Fresno State, but my prediction was right on this where I said, look for Oregon to win, but do not look for them to cover. And I think that was a big one there where I was saying this team is one that is a quality football team. Oregon has proven time and time and again that they're going to win a lot of these games, but it's still game one after what was a weird COVID season. Florida, Fresno State has proven to be a decent squad. This could be a very solid game. And Fresno State plays UCLA next. And what I think could also be a really good game next week. Wow. So I'm, I'm excited yeah, for that. Great game. I'm excited for that one. That'll be yeah, fun. I, with some of these teams, I mean, you see the lackluster week one effort. Sometimes you do have to give teams benefit of the doubt that they are going to come along throughout the year, especially some of these teams that are breaking in new quarterbacks. And I did want to make another a side note as well with the, with the things about the picking the games and everything, what we did. We usually went through all those games um, on it this year, but because now we only have our one time slot for, for college football, we're going to get a second one. We're going to make these more often, but we'll get another one in. Um, so we'll do that when that comes. But before then, we're just going to pick them on Twitter. So go follow our Twitter account. We're on um, uh, at Blank Coverage Podcast, where we've always been on, and we'll have GTD Sports retweet that. So if you have GTD Sports following They'll be retweeting all that to us. We'll be giving you all of our picks. And of course, like last season, we'll be tracking them over the year. And we'll have our big fun episode um, all the way in January, February time. We'll then look at our record over the year and how we did. So we'll get to that later. But um, that'll be something later. But just to mention that here. Um, again, down the list of the ranks, LSU, UCLA, we talked about uh, first top 16 win for the Bruins since 2015. So again, that was a pretty big deal upset. Um, Iowa, Indiana. Now, this is an interesting game because uh, both these teams are teams we sort of were looking at as they could be decent with the Big Ten, but they're not really going to be contender level, more that we're just sort of interested to see how they function. And it was a game that proved a good chunk to me because I was pretty confident in thinking I was going to win this game. I picked Iowa to win. I was pretty confident in that. And, oh, boy, did they win. 34-6. to six. Iowa was a million times better the team in this game. Pennix was pretty bad. Uh, 14 for 31, 156 yards and three touchdowns. And I made that call on the podcast too, where I said, this team is a hundred percent dependent on if Penix is healthy and decent. And if he is either of those things off, this team is not going to be good. And they looked not good in this game. And it's because he had a horrible stat line. They yeah, rely look, on him. I don't want to rag on a guy that's coming off of an ACL injury. Even I know, but that's still objectively. That we, no, no, no. Let me finish my statement. I don't want to <laughs> rag on a guy that at the end of the year last year tore his ACL, tore his ACL mid-season. He hasn't even had a full year to recover yet. Um, but this was object, objectively bad. It was objectively bad from Indiana. Uh, they looked lifeless the whole game. There was no fight whatsoever, and they just looked outmatched by Iowa. So I don't know where this Indiana team uh, that we saw last year is but that might have just been one of those weird COVID things. 
And that's true, too. That may have ended up being one of those. Um, speaking of other sort of weird games, uh, Texas, Louisiana, we touched on this a little bit, but just to sort of finish that, um, Texas ended up getting a pretty clean win here. They actually have their largest home opener win against a ranked opponent, which, yay for you, Texas. You really beat the crap out of Louisiana, so there's your record. Um, yeah, nobody outside of Austin enjoyed the result of this game, but Find it's still happening over the last. Find me. Yeah, watch out there. Watch out. Um, so, yeah, uh, credit to Texas for getting a good win with Sark, but um, obviously something we personally don't like to see. Uh, of the other games to highlight here, the only really ones I had was uh, on Friday night, UCF-Boise State. We thought this would be a really fun game. It was a fun game. <laughs> I very much enjoyed uh, seeing this one. Uh, Gabriel had 318 yards and four touchdowns and a comeback win. Boise State was up by 21. It was 21-0. And the Knights came coming back, and they won a huge game. The and Gus like Bus. we said, Gus Malzahn did it. I was very Bus happy for that. Back. That's, Gus that did game it. was like – that was like a three on the Gus Malzahn chaos meter. I'm ready to crank this <laughs> up to the 10. We I'm do need the Gus Malzahn chaos meter. I need meter. some <laughs> Gus Malzahn chaos in my life. Gus Malzahn chaos is maybe one of my favorite – things about college football because it never ends it never ends it, <laughs> it always finds a way you, you always never finds a way count out Gus Malzahn. uh last couple games i'll go over here just because i wanted to mention them um syracuse my team here that i have won a game so syracuse wins a game i know it's miraculous but they did anyway 29 and i went over ohio uh, Bobcats were actually favored in this game, which is depressing. Uh, matches a win total from the 2020 season where the Orange went 1-10. and 10, And it's their largest win in general since November 16th, 2019. Um, it's also Syracuse's first win in 344 days. So, wow, that's depressing. But Taxes. Dino Babers covering, baby. <laughs> Always gets the cover. So that was good on cues. Uh, TCU, at least to mention our hometown team, um, Duquesne obviously did not stand a chance in this game. We did not think it was going to be close at all. It was pretty bad. Uh, 43 to five or sorry. Right. Oops. 45 to three. Um, right, well, 42. Yeah. I forgot that it was right on the money at 42. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty hilarious how bad of a game this was, but who was shocked 431 to 137 in total yards and 26 to six in first downs, which is crazy. Even crazier. They had the nearly the exact same time possession, which is even wilder. Um, and the last game here, which is also the last game on the schedule, was Old Miss Louisville. Kiff Kiffin was not there due to COVID. Uh, Twenty six to zero, Old Miss at halftime. Uh, Matt Corral is a dark, 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 dark horse. I think for any kind of like Maxwell or Heisman race, just how good he looked and how much he's going to get here. And how about the defense? Old Miss's defense actually was somewhat competent in this game, which and, they were and, terrible last year, mind you. But yeah, no, they were they okay. were objectively awful last year. Yes, they I'm not making I'm not taking away anything from anyone who has to play against the Louisville offense. We talked about how bad Louisville could be this year and they might be one of the worst teams in the country. They'll be in they'll the be fighting with at least. They'll be fighting with Syracuse for that last base, uh, last place spot. And given how Syracuse looked this weekend, they may be worse. And I know Duke is definitely worse than both those teams, but it's like guys, they won't be. Louisville will not be the worst team in the Duke, ACC, but Duke was so oh, Duke weekend. Duke will be the worst. They team ran in the for ACC. like two hundred and fifty plus yards and still lost a football game to Charlotte. To Charlotte, to Charlotte. yeah, I they're the worst Olympics. team. 
Agony Olympics. Right? Yeah, Agony Olympics, we actually kind of already went over those uh, very depressing teams. Only other Agony Olympics team to mention of just these <laughs> is Illinois. <laughs> Illinois beat Nebraska last week and then turned around and lost to UTSA. Now, mind you, UTSA is actually, I think, a really good team this year. I think they're actually within their own division. But you still can't beat Nebraska and turn around to lose to them. Is uh, pretty pathetic. baby. Also, UConn lost by ten to Holy Cross. You you got to get rid of UConn. No more UConn. No, UConn doesn't have a football program. We don't acknowledge their existence. Did you see the UConn highlight thing? Up Sycamore, but like they're actually licensed to play people. <laughs> they're like pretty fall weather bishop sycamore but it's if you've seen the um the the it wasn't even a highlight it was when the coach had a speech to all the players and he put his hand up in the middle of the huddle and no other player put their hand there they just looked there and just looked at him in week one bishop sycamore they i'm telling you that bishop that body sycamore language football. Uh, I'm not and last um uconn is a real school let no, alone a I, real I, football team <laughs> Last last point on the Agony Olympics here. Louisiana Tech le- led Mississippi State by 20 at the start of the fourth quarter, and they actually uh, choked the entire fourth quarter away, and uh, MSU ends up winning by one. Largest comeback in Mississippi State history another was against agent, Louisiana Tech. Another agent of chaos, Mike Leach. Which, yeah, Louisiana Tech up by 20 against Mississippi State at the start of the fourth quarter, and you somehow lose this game. I was going through Louisiana Tech Twitter after the game, and that was a lot of fun. But um, safe to say they were not happy. Well, uh, and then we already mentioned Texas in two years. My prediction is that they're just going to be Mississippi State in the SEC. It's just so sad. Uh, that's probably fair. Uh, looking at the AP top 25 in week two, you have a little bit of shifts up and down here. The biggest ones of note is that Georgia moves up to number two. Clemson moves down to number six. Actually, the first time they've been out of the top four since 2017, which is kind of a wild stat. Um, Cincinnati and Notre Dame move up a little bit. Iowa State moves down. Iowa and Penn State up to number 10 and number 11 beat each of them up by eight spots. So big, big pushes for those big 10 teams. Oregon shifts a little bit. Florida stays the same. And then USC there. And then Texas up seven to number 15 in the country. Oh, UCLA. For beating Louisiana. Up by seven. Give me a yeah. damn break. Seven. And then UCLA at number 16. I think that's way too high. At number 16? Because we didn't know anything about LSU. And they were number 16. I thought LSU was overrated number 16. I mean, that these got proven immediately. Rankings, these preseason rankings I mean, are so dumb. I mean, UCLA at 16 is crazy. And then Coastal Carolina moved up five for number 17. I don't know why they moved up five for beating the Citadel, but I I guess there's that. Uh, Wisconsin went down six, which I think was a little too harsh because they lost to a pretty underrated Penn State team and not by a lot. I think six a little harsh, but I would have maybe done five or four, but I guess that's fine. Uh, Virginia Tech getting ranked I think is very fair. They deserve to get ranked. I think Ole Miss getting ranked is very fair. I think they're probably the third best team in the SEC West at this rate. So, and the rankings agree with that. So I would put them there. Uh, Utah moved up three for beating a nobody school, which is fine. Uh, Miami moved down eight. And this is, this is my problem is I think Miami moved down to number eight because people realized they shouldn't have been 14 in the first place. Not because they lost to Bama by that much. Cause if you lose to Bama, even by a lot, I don't think you should move down by eight spots, but they should not have been that high to start. I don't think they should have been ranked. I mean, still don't think they should be ranked. I don't. I think twenty-two may be fair. Fourteen was absurd, but I would like I don't to think watch Derek King. You know, not suck before I rank <laughs> Miami. 
Uh, Arizona State moved up two to number 23, and they should be higher. Uh, UNC went down 14 spots for losing to Virginia Tech, down to 24, which is brutal. Somehow. Yeah, that was. These rankings make no damn sense. If North Carolina was like 17 to begin the year, they wouldn't be ranked anymore. Um, also, Auburn then pulled in at number 25, which is interesting. Uh, so LSU, Indiana, Washington, and Louisiana, those four programs are out. And then your next three teams that are waiting to get in are TCU, actually, is the first team out, NC State, and UCF, which you could argue those three teams have looked better than a good chunk of teams on this list. I mean, NC State was actually the only school to shut out anyone over the weekend, uh, destroying USF, which USF is not a good school, but they still did beat them as badly as you possibly could. And then UCF looked really good. I mean, beat out Boise State, who is going to be probably the best team in the Mountain West. And then TCU obviously looked great in their game, and it should be a Big 12 contender. So I kind of like those three schools more than I like Auburn right now, but it's they're not in the SEC, so they don't get the extra boost, yeah. I guess. But, um, but yeah, that's going to do it on most of our coverage here, unless you got a lot else. But uh, NFL starts tomorrow. Absolutely. We are going to record our NFL season preview tomorrow. We're going to be going through overs and unders for every single NFL team. We're also going to predict um, award winners for each of the major award categories. So be on the lookout for that. We may be live. We may just be recording it to drop tomorrow. We will see. But um, if you are looking for some entertainment in your lunch hour, uh, please, please tune in uh, tomorrow as we preview the NFL season, which starts tomorrow, and I have to work during the game. Uh, so if you're in hey. Nashville, come get a big, uh, big box of Five Daughters Donuts so that we sell out and so that I can watch football. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds like an excellent time. Very excited Absolutely. for that. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in to the Blanket Coverage podcast. Please make sure to follow us on social media. We're going to be getting a little more content there. We're going to be dropping some clips and everything. So that's Blanket Cove Pod on Twitter and Blanket right Coverage there. Podcast on Instagram. It's right down there below. Please go give us a follow. Um, and our Twitter accounts. Go follow these two. We have them right here. Yeah, you see it. It's wait, other side's going. Other side. Other side. That way. <laughs> All right. There you go. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you check back later this week for our NFL season preview before the action starts tomorrow night and the action really gets going on Sunday where I will be locked in my couch watching Red Zone all day, as I'm sure you will be. As I'm more well. of a Sunday ticket fan, but I yeah, I'm excited for that. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Red Zone guy. I like to have Red Zone on one screen and the Titans on the other screen, and then you know whatever Good the call. best game of the afternoon or the most important fantasy game for me is, uh, we'll shift to that Titans screen. Uh, after but i do love red zone it's the best way to watch football if you're a big fantasy guy uh like both of us are uh, and we're excited to be competing in uh the podcasters fantasy league so there's going to be some content coming there hopefully but for the last time thank you so much for tuning in i am noah parker and i'm jack wallace peace Peace out out, y'all